3: And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. Every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Moson.
2: And I'm David Gura. Listen to the big take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday Podcast. In my twenties, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: This is the Edge with Jonathan Vontobel and Matt Humans on VSN, the Sports Betty Network. What's up, folks? We got a good show today. It is Friday, so hopefully, you're feeling good as we head into the weekend. I'm very excited uh, because the weekend's going to be great. We got a lot going on in the world of sports. Uh, including, of course, the NBA, which we will get to throughout the show. Coming up in 15 minutes, though, uh, we are going to talk a little bit about the National Football League. You know, something happened yesterday. Um, I don't know if you were aware of this. The schedule was released for the National Football League. Ben Brown, betting analyst over at Pro Football Focus, is going to be with us. Get some of his insights into how the schedule broke down. Maybe some tidbits on those schedules. And uh, as we know, since the schedule is out, we have Week One matchups, which means Week One lines are posted so we'll get to those week one lines and uh, do a fun exercise that one jeff fogel former colleague here at vcin uh, actually taught me a couple of years ago in terms of market power ratings and how you can use those and compare your own ratings and also how we're handling or uh, we're finding out how the market's handling home field but we will get to that coming up in about 30 minutes also minus like 500 that i refer to home field as home court at some point throughout this entire show just because the way that this uh The way that it goes. Regardless, we get to last night. Let's talk a little bit about what happened in the association yesterday. And there's a lot to get to but you kind of got to start with the drama that is the Philadelphia 76ers uh, because results aside, and you kind of feel bad for Miami because, look, the Heat are in the Eastern Conference Finals yet again. uh, They have been a brilliant team since Jimmy Butler has gone over there. They get a win yesterday, 99 to 90 as a -a 2.5-point underdog on the road. Uh, Butler, incredible defensively, has been incredible in this entire postseason, and as a reward, he gets back to the Eastern Conference Finals a series away from making it to yet another NBA Finals with the Miami Heat. But... It's hard not to focus on Philadelphia because from a narrative and story perspective, there's a lot going on here with this team. James Harden is pretty below average for a a player of his caliber. Uh, If he's going to be their third best player, it's a pretty good spot to be in, but he still has performed not very well, and he's going to get paid like a guy who is playing a lot better than he really is. You have Joel Embiid, who came back in this series and is – Fought through quite a few injuries and is disappointed not only with a second-place finish in terms of MVP, but not even making it to the conference finals. He has yet to do so. And then you get Doc Rivers, which is where I wanted to begin. Because Doc yesterday did what Doc Rivers does, which is rewrite history, which is, frankly, just make stuff up that I don't think makes any sense whatsoever. And he was asked after the game about his performance. It's a performance-based league, Doc. What have you made of your tenure here in Philly? Here's what he had to say. I don't worry about my job, Howard. I think I do a, a terrific job, and if you don't, then you should write it, because I worked my butt off to get this team here. When I first
6: got here, no one picked us to be anywhere. Uh, and again, this year, the same thing. So
5: if that's how anyone feels, write it, and I, I'm going to feel secure about it. a results based business. And it is, it is, is, but you don't do it every year. Uh, every time you're wrong, should you lose your job? No, so uh, it's the same thing, all right? But it, listen, if you believe that, then go with it. I know how I know what I did this year, and I feel very good about that. But, again, if you believe that, Howard, then you just run with it. When I first got here, no one picked us to be anywhere. The 76ers in Doc's first season, seventh-best odds to win a title before this year started, and they got to as a high as 11-1 to 1 to win a title that season. This year, they had a win total of 51-and-a-half. No one picked him to go anywhere, though, according to Doc Rivers. Uh, Just like he's a saint for just pulling that Orlando Magic team to a 3-1 lead over (laughs) the Detroit Pistons. Look, Doc Rivers has, of course, his upside as a coach. He has shown it at times. uh, But I do think that moments like this are pretty funny when he attempts to rewrite everything. The reason why Doc Rivers is working for the Philadelphia 76ers is because Brett Brown got fired. And why did Brett Brown get fired? Because he was chronically underachieving with a team that was extremely talented. So you can kind of miss us with the whole nobody picked us to do anything or go anywhere since he got there. A lot of people picked you to go a lot of places, Doc. And the irony of this for Philadelphia, as we look at the performance of what we saw, was that of James Harden. The 76ers, the fan base and the organization to an extent, run off – Ben Simmons, because he underperforms, but how about this? James Harden by half in this elimination game. First half, 11 points, 4-7 from the floor, 57% from the floor, and three-point range, three of five. Second half takes two shots overall, both from three-point range, doesn't score a single point. Last time we talked about the Philadelphia 76ers, Ben Simmons was refusing to shoot in a clutch situation against the Atlanta Hawks, and yet here we are. James Harden's about to get potentially some – he's going to get some sort of deal, and he can opt in. But it's nuts. And then you look at this from ESPN Stats and Info. When you look back at this elimination game for the Miami Heat in game seven of last year's conference semis, which saw the 76ers out of the playoffs as well, Ben Simmons attempted two shots, scored three points in the second half. Harden attempted just two shots in the second half, missing both. 76ers knocked out Harden's last made bucket, 331 mark of the second quarter. You can't write this stuff. It's pretty nuts, man. And that's why like, it does stink to a certain extent. You want to focus on Miami, the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, moving on, awaiting the fate of what's going to happen between Milwaukee and Boston, which will go down later today. And uh, I you know, have my thoughts about well, how either series would play out. Personally, I don't think Miami really wants Boston to advance. I think Boston matches up really well with the Heat. We saw some of that play out in some of those regular season matchups, but... It's going to be a good Eastern Conference Final Series either way, but it's hard not to focus on the drama that is the 76ers. And we're not even going to touch on or play the audio from Joel Embiid, who talked about how he didn't know how the 76ers let Jimmy Butler go when they had him on the team. Oh, man, it was great. I I enjoyed every single second of that uh, yesterday. But wanted to talk a little bit about um, another result, the Phoenix Suns and the Dallas Mavericks. Because this was also something we got to see yesterday. And this was a pretty intriguing series now. We are getting a Game 7, the best two words in sports. It's a 113-86 final in Game 6. So the Mavericks forced this. They will now go back to Phoenix. Yesterday, closing is two-and-a-half-point underdogs here at the South Point. So they'll force this Game 7. Winner takes it all over in Phoenix this weekend. But there's a lot, I think, that you got to dive into here when it comes to this overall, this series and what has transpired between these two. Because when you look at how both teams have been playing, I would make the argument that it is the Dallas Mavericks who have been the more consistent team. But we first have to go with Luka Doncic, because like, obviously at my core, I'm a very big basketball fan. And to watch guys just perform in clutch situations and drag their teams to victory is awesome. And Doncic, of course, delivers. You see this from ESPN stats and then one more from them. Doncic averaging 39 points when facing elimination in his career in the postseason. That is the highest scoring average in those situations in NBA history with a minimum of three games played. Uh, there was some dude I had never heard of. Did you see, Did you see the graphic? It was like a black-and-white picture of a dude I had never heard of before in terms of a point-per-game average. But Doncic has been awesome. He's been awesome in these situations. He's got a history now in terms of performance Performing on big stages when it comes to competition internationally here in the NBA when there's like titles on the line what he did in the Olympics is so underrated in terms of dragging that team uh, to as far as he did what he did in European competition before he came to the NBA he also was brilliant in those situations but I think from from a breakdown of this and what we've seen up to this point I think there's a couple of things that are worth pointing out from what we saw yesterday between Dallas and Phoenix. First of which is, I mentioned the more, the more consistent effort from the Dallas Mavericks offensively. Uh, 1.195 points per possession in non-garbage time minutes last night. 15-37 to 37 from deep in those minutes, the Dallas Mavericks did. Phoenix, if you look at it in terms of what they've done on the road this series, now 103.8 per 100 possessions on the road compared to 108.3. Pro 100 that Dallas has put up in the three games in Phoenix. So Dallas has a better offensive rating in road games this series than the Phoenix Suns have. The Suns, as we know, really reliant on that mid range shooting. And in these road games, they've been awful 32.3% on all mid range attempts, 29.6% long mid range attempts. But how about the turnovers by game for the Phoenix Suns? When you start with game two and you look at this, 17 turnovers in game two, 17 turnovers in game three, 17 turnovers in game four, only turned it over five times, or excuse me, 12 times in game five, and then last night, 22 turnovers for the Phoenix Suns. It's a total of 85 turnovers over the course of the last five games for Phoenix. Not really good. When you're looking at it from that perspective, 16.5% of their possessions in this series have ended in a turnover, the Phoenix Suns. And for those who are wondering, that's a rate that would finish dead last in the NBA in the regular season. And they're also struggling to contain this like 5 out drive drive-and-kick offense that the Mavericks have been running. How about some of these numbers? Dallas averaging 25.7 catch-and-shoot three-point attempts per game. They're shooting 40.9% on those shots. Freaking awesome. And it's leading to open shots, In the series, not just at home, in the series, the Dallas Mavericks, 24.6% of their three-point attempts are considered wide open. Defenders six feet or further away, they're shooting 41.7% on those attempts. And to me, that's replicable as you move into a road game against Phoenix. And yes, a lot of people are going to look at this and point out that the road struggles have been the same for Dallas, at least in terms of the results. 3-0 straight up, 3-0 against the spread. The Phoenix Suns have been at home. But for me, when you dive a little bit deeper, when you talk about the ability to play that five out, to drive and kick to open shooters, that's something that translates when you go on the road. When you look at some of the shot quality data that tells you that one of those road games, the Mavericks should have covered, and another one of those road games by shot quality standards they actually should have won the game. There's a lot, I think, that you can look at here for the Mavericks and realize that I think that they're in a very good situation coming into Game 7 as opposed to what Phoenix was facing on the road in these three games because Chris Paul has been non-existent here and the Mavericks have done a brilliant job defensively against him. Last four games for Paul, 9.3 points per game under seven attempts per game. He's committed 18 turnovers and it's no surprise that over those four games, Dallas is 1-3 and straight up and against the spread. So I think when you look at this overall, and we're talking about this opening up Phoenix minus six with a total of 210, we're not really budging on the number, at least as of of right now for game seven, still sitting at six. The total has come down, and I'll get more on that in terms of the trends for these game sevens uh, from Steve Mackinan. I'm really interested to see what the market does here with this game seven number, because if this gets back up to that seven range, which we saw the last two games in Phoenix get to, and even if it doesn't, uh, I think the Mavericks are very live to not only cover that number, but win this game and move on to the Western Conference Finals. What I've seen from them over the course of the last four games, to me, translates a little bit easier than what the Phoenix Suns have had to deal with over the last few games. But either way, we get a game seven. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. All right, we'll come back to the NBA a little bit later in the show. On the other side, Ben Brown, Pro Football Focus, is going to be with us. The schedules are out. Let's talk about some of the highlights that we have seen in the National Football League schedules, how he values certain situations too. I want to see what these data guys believe about you know, traveling east. Last year we talked a lot about that being a little bit of an overvalued trend. What about consecutive east coast trips for these west coast teams? All that and more when we come back.
4: From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life,
5: All right, welcome back in. Reminder, baseball predictions are made brighter. Join the Born in a Ballpark Challenge presented by Blue Moon to compete for free cash prizes all season long. In our weekly prediction pools, to fight for your share of $62,500 in total cash prizes. Head to DraftKings.com slash Blue Moon now to join the action. Blue Moon, made brighter Twenty one or older. Terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Please drink responsibly. Follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Ben Brown. Benjamin Brown's with us now data embedding analyst for pro football focus. Ben, it's good to talk to you, as always, sir. Uh, so first off, wanted to dive in for a couple of like, big topics and then we'll get to uh, some other stuff. But one of my favorite things about schedule release time, and we we kind of know this already, but it's, it's the strength of schedule topic, right? Everybody's always talking about strength of schedule for certain teams. And I wanted to call back to one of the tweets that you had, I think it was yesterday, and talk a little bit more about this because I, sometimes people tend to forget when you're talking about strength of schedule in a normal sense, it's based off records from last year and it doesn't really factor in improvement here so when you talk about strength of schedule over at pff and when you evaluate some of these schedules how do you guys evaluate it from that standpoint
7: yeah, definitely. So we do have, you know, like a power rankings metric, either. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with it. You know, 538 does a really good job with it as well, but uh, that is essentially our power ranking system that uh, does take into account off season changes uh, things like, you know, quarterback movement, even player movement, uh, coaching movement, those sorts of things. So we do fold all of that stuff into it and then develop a ranking for how we evaluate these teams uh, heading into week one of the 2022 season. So with that, we can at least, uh, more accurately project the strength of schedule than if we were just gonna use, you know, prior wins and losses from last year. So we do think that has, you know, a lot more predictive power. It has shown to be, you know, worthwhile to look at from, you know, a future perspective. And it also uh, you know, charts in pretty well with you know, people that are using like win totals and those sorts of things to kind of fold in that strength of schedule metric. So that's how we do it at PFF, and we found it to be, you know, relatively useful for how we're modeling things.
5: Yeah, I've, I've been a big fan of using the uh, the win totals too, as you kind of mentioned there uh, from a casino standpoint or a sports betting standpoint, because those two factor in a little bit of an yeah. improvement as you move forward in terms of strength of schedule. The other thing I wanted to ask you is uh, once these schedules are set, and now you see some of the road trips these teams are making, consecutive road games that some of these teams will have, you know, one that sticks out are the New York Giants, and I think by your guys in metrics, one of the easier schedules in the National Football League, uh, to have a good stretch where they don't really have a true road game for a while, like those really change and shape the way that some of these uh, schedules are viewed. So when you look at that, how much do your power ratings change? How much does your perception on a team from a win total change once we finally get to see the order of which these games are being played?
7: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't influence us a whole lot. Obviously, we have you know the schedule. We just don't have the order in which that schedule is going to be played out. And I do think that uh, in some of the things that people are you know discussing yesterday and today, as far as like cumulative rest differentials and those sorts of things for. T- certain teams. I think those are definitely overstated from a betting perspective and they don't really matter uh, in the grand scheme of things. If you're looking to bet a team like on their win total or those sorts of things, I think rest, you know, cumulative rest up uh, for the entire season is uh, somewhat of a fraudulent stat. I would say in a lot of ways now individual, you know, team by team rest in that individual week leading up to that game uh, that can have some predictive power, but looking at it from this overall, you know, top down type of approach, just not uh, all that beneficial. So I like to look at it and. You know, it doesn't really influence a ton of our modeling, but I do like to look at, you know, certain stretches for teams, whether they're going to have, you know, a really easy starting schedule to the season or uh, ending stretch to the season. because I do think that that can at least influence uh, timing and entry into that market. If it's a team that you're kind of on the fence about like. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts, for example, are a team that I've kind of been waiting to bet on, especially to win the AFC South. I think starting off, they have somewhat of a difficult stretch of schedule in that week three through seven window. Uh, But after that, I think they're definitely going to be wide open to win the AFC South. So if you can kind of plan and project that out, I think getting them at a better price than what you're going to get them at right now uh, is definitely the correct approach in the way that I'm trying to uh, use this sort of information to kind of evaluate the futures
5: market. Yeah, as a Colts fan, I'd agree. And for those watching, you can see that uh, the schedule up right now uh, it's good opportunity to start two zero for Indianapolis. Although we know how the trips to Jacksonville have gone for this team uh, right. last, <laughs> for a while now. Uh, but Chiefs, Titans, Broncos, Jags, Titans, Commanders, Patriots, Raiders, Eagles—those are a lot of coin flip spots uh, in the middle of that uh, in the middle of that schedule. And uh, coin flip spots necessarily, you don't want a lot of those on your schedule. Although they are winnable right. situations, they're also very losable situations, Ben.
7: Yeah, yep. definitely, I and mean, yeah, I think I'm looking at specifically, you know, like weeks three through five with the with yep. the Colts, like Chiefs, Titans, Broncos. Then after that, I think maybe week six is the spot you could definitely buy into them quite a bit.
5: Uh, well, the uh, Carson Wentz revenge game, week eight. You never know; could be a bad nice. one. Uh, all right, <laughs> and, and two, one of the other things, and this is the other thing that kind of it, like drives me nuts a little bit. What do you guys make of like distance and, and miles traveled? Because one of the things I've always laughed at, like last few seasons, uh, it would surprise some people. And I harped on this last year. Teams going from west to east actually have a winning ATS record because the market has right. just overvalued something like this. The Seahawks are being described as one he bansheed about as one of these teams that have to travel a lot this year. But they're not me and you. They're not getting southwest right. and checking in and having to go through all this stuff. You know, this is pretty well set up for these guys. Distance traveled is that something that's overblown too?
7: Uh, I would say definitely now factored into the sports betting market it is something that has become way too overvalued now it is something that we use in our modeling as far as like you know distance traveled for each individual team but uh, it hasn't really had too much predictive power especially in recent years and like you said it's an idea that uh, has permeated the sports betting market and it does speak to the fact that you not only need to understand what you're taking into account but how predictive that is and then how much that's actually influencing the sports betting market and I do think uh, I definitely agree with you that uh, the cross-country travel especially heading from the west coast to the east coast is a spot that has been overly adjusted in the betting market and is probably you know uh, in consideration for actually fading at this point yep all
5: right so let's talk a little bit you guys up at PFF if you go to the website and by the way I would, I would also state that uh, this has been one of my best handicapping tools is signing up uh, for you guys a subscription package is fantastic uh, but PFF.com was looking at the article that you and I believe is Eric eager that had in terms of week one lines because now that we know the week one uh, these lines are set these matchups are up uh, give me a there's a couple of these up there but they weren't specified by either you or Eric so walk me through maybe one or two matchups that you like from a point spread perspective.
7: Yeah, definitely. I do think this is going to be the most chalky game uh, of the entire week One slate. but I do think Denver minus four, minus four and a half in Seattle on Monday Night Football. Uh, I know I'm going to be with basically the entire public on this particular one, but I do think we're going to see it move out to six, six and a half, maybe even a seven point differential uh, when it's all said and done by the time kickoff gets here. I do think that uh, Seattle's probably just still a little bit overvalued in the betting market. I'm not necessarily a big Pete Carroll truther uh, whatsoever, and I do think that they're going to struggle mightily here. So I do think you know, Russell going in uh, to Seattle, showcasing his new team in week one, I do think is a pretty decent spot to take. So minus four, I don't really like taking that big of a, you know, road favorite right now. But uh, I do think that number is going to move a little bit more in our direction. And then kickoff night, Buffalo, uh, you know, the power rankings, if you take, you know, the market implied probability and everything else. Buffalo is the clear number one team along in the futures market. I think, you know, plus one at Los Angeles they still make some sense to bet as well. I think we're going to probably see that fluctuate between uh, the twos here until kickoff time. But I would say anything, you know, where they're not a field goal differential uh, is definitely a great spot to buy into Buffalo as well.
5: So let's go really quickly. Let's go back to that Broncos Seahawks game. Cause I'm in agreement with you. And like you said, it might be chalky, but here's the thing. So actually in the next segment, we're going to talk about like market power ratings, right? And so if you go through and you account for like one or two points for home court or excuse me, home field. See, there you go. I made a minus 500 that I call it home court. And I did cash, cash. <laughs> right? but if you look at it and you use like one example for home field, which a lot of people will be surprised, but it was worth nothing pretty much last year. The, the, the power rating on the Seahawks is pretty high. Like it has them on par with like the Titans, the dolphins uh, better than the Panthers, the Steelers. I don't know if I buy into that. So I would agree with that assessment. It does seem oddly enough that the Seahawks are kind of overvalued when you look at these week one lines.
7: Yeah, definitely. I think, I think they definitely are. And I do agree with you like, Uh, looking back on home field advantage and those sorts of things. uh, Seattle has always been the place with the 12th man that have, you know, a ton of that baked in. They're basically the highest value team. If you're looking at individual teams from a home field, home field advantage perspective, Uh, I think that's overstated 2020. was basically nothing whatsoever. I think it's trending right around like 1.65. If you do the calculation on the spread uh, right now, but uh, I think, I think they're a spot that you just need to kind of bury them early on. And I don't think they're going to perform here very well uh, to start the 2022
5: season. Oh, last one before we to get you out of here and maybe i am just uh, focusing too much on like the Ruder film of Tua to a Tongue of iloa throwing a duck up to tyree kill the other day uh, but i do think that the dolphins they're on my list of teams that could be potentially overvalued one of those winners of the offseason that the market tends to uh, get a little too randy on uh, i don't know how i feel about the patriots yet but i think overall looking how the market's valuing miami i think they're going to be on my list at the start of the year to kind of play against what do you make of that
7: yeah, definitely. I think, you know, they have obviously the splashy, you know, trade with Tyreek Hill. People expect that to kind of bring out the best in Tua Take Viola, but they have a really difficult schedule. Uh, I don't necessarily think they're going to be able to really take advantage of Tyreek Hill's strengths as well as they want to with two a take for all like quarterback. So I think they're going to struggle quite a bit. New England makes you know an interesting teaser leg at plus two and a half. I think that's one spot that we did right up uh, along with the Dallas Cowboys in that week one matchup. But uh, I'm completely fine with an outright fade of Miami, especially to start the season. But I am a little bit lower on New England probably than everybody else as well. So uh, probably not overly inclined to really go all in on this week one matchup. But I do think both those teams are spots to probably fade uh, heading into the 2022 season.
5: Yeah. I was high on new England last year, but high to an extent, right? Like where they were right. at the beginning of the season, not so much this year where uh, Mac Jones after taking the league by storm is where he is. All right, babe, man, it's it- good to talk to you. I appreciate it as always. Thank you for the time, Ben. Yep. Thanks. I'm good, Joe. You've got it again. PFF underscore Ben Brown up on Twitter, and I uh, will say, yeah, can't recommend it enough. It, one of the best hand, handicapping tools that I used last season, in terms of the subscription packages over at PFF. A lot of good data over there for you to, uh, for you to use. All right, we'll come back. So let, let's dive into some of these Week One lines and see what we've seen up to this point. And also, I mentioned market power ratings. I think this is a really cool and fun exercise. And I'll explain a little bit more about it on the other side. But essentially, we can get a look into how the betting market views some of these teams and how you can compare and contrast your own ratings to it. This is The Edge on vSEN, the sports betting network. Zen Nicotine Pouches are a fresh way to enjoy nicotine. Nicotine pouches are smoke-free and spit-free, made with food-grade ingredients. Simply open up the child-resistant lid, place the pouch between your upper lip and gum, boom. One hour real nicotine satisfaction. Zin's available in 10 varieties and 2 strengths: 3 milligrams for fresh nicotine satisfaction, 6 milligrams for even more nicotine enjoyment. Simple and discreet. You can enjoy Zin anywhere, anytime. Find your freedom, find your satisfaction, find your Zin. Visit Zin.com, that's ZYN.com to learn more. Find Zin nicotine pouches near you. Zin nicotine pouches are only for adults 21 or older who currently use tobacco or nicotine. Warning. Product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. All right. So, schedule is out, released, all that good stuff. We see all of these matchups for every single one of our favorite teams. And we also get week one matchups. And with week one matchups, we get week one lines. So, I wanted to do a cool, fun exercise that I do regularly throughout the, the NFL season. And again, a shout out. I'll give uh, Jeff Vogel credit, who taught me this, a former colleague uh, here at VSTEN. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeff Fogle, if you'd like. Really great. Uh, and a, um, a mentor of sorts, Jeff Vogel. But regardless, um, Market power ratings and essentially has this, how this works is you look at the point spreads that you get for this week one these week one lines and judging on how you want to use home field right three points no points whatever uh, then you you derive power rankings from this so I'll, I'll show you what I mean it's a little bit easier to kind of show you as opposed to doing it so for this exercise used home field dang, I almost went court again. Uh, It's in my head now, home field being worth one point. Now, I think a lot of people would initially hear that and go, why just one point? Isn't home field worth three? And it is generally thought that home field is worth three points. But if you go back to last year, median result for home teams was zero, which means that home court or home field wasn't worth anything. 21 regulation ties. Average result was the host team by 1.6 points per game. And the final uh, win-loss record by some 128, 120, and then 21 uh, with three neutral site games. So home uh, home field is worth pretty much nothing. Pretty much nothing in the National Football League a season ago. So we go from there, and you derive from some of these numbers matchups and power rankings. So we'll go for the top tier, for example. So at 87, and that's an arbitrary number that we use for our power rating, We have the Bills, Rams, and Bucks. Those are the three highest power-rated teams by the market standpoint when you look at the lines from week one. And we use DraftKings lines for this exercise. So, again, using the exercise of home field being worth one, the Rams are a one-point favorite over the Bills. So, if that's the case and we're using home field as one point, that would mean that the Bills and Rams are equals on a neutral. So, you can kind of get where we're going from here, and you use all of these numbers – and then form these power ratings. And you can derive point spreads from all of them, right? So we'll go Packers and Chiefs, for, for an example, the two teams that are power rated below the Bills, Rams, and Bucks from a market standpoint. And if we could throw that up really quickly one more time, guys, and show what we're talking about here, just to give you what the numbers mean as well, you can derive power power ratings from this. So according to the market power ratings, using the week one lines posted at DraftKings, you can see that the Packers are a point better than the Chargers on a neutral. So if you want to use a point for home field, then Packers, Chargers would be a two-point spread if you're using home field for one and the market power ratings that we're deriving from the week one lines that we saw that are posted. So why do you do this? I think that's the other question, right, is, okay, that's great. We have market power ratings. We can see this. Well, let's bring up our conversation that we just had with Ben Brown, which I think is really worth it. And if you find on that graphic right there, you'll see Seahawks – Um, in their own little cup, their own tier. 79 is the power rating on the Seahawks that we're using here. Again, the 87 through 73, it's just kind of an arbitrary number. I use 87 as the uh, top-tiered power-rated team, and you go from there. So you would see here that using market power ratings, the Seahawks come out to be a higher power-rated team than the Panthers, Steelers, Patriots, Saints, all those teams that are listed below them. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that the Seahawks should probably be lower rated uh, than what the market is putting them at at this point right now. And so this is what the trick is in terms of finding some of this value. You know, these are couplets. So if I'm going to, if you're looking at that and saying, well, the Seahawks are way too high. Well, right. I agree. Thus, there would be value in betting the Denver Broncos at that number of minus four, like we were talking about with Ben. Because keep in mind, you can't just, when you're making market power ratings, you can't just move the Seahawks. We can't just take Seattle from 79 and put them down to 77 where we feel more comfortable because that means we got to move the Broncos down too, right? Remember, this is a point spread that we're deriving these numbers from. So I think this is a really good exercise because when you look at something like this and each and every single one of us have power ratings of our own, you can compare and contrast with how the market rates some of these teams and you can find value, it can stack up your own numbers with some of these and you can find certain spots to hit. So for me, for example, going back to that game, the one game that stuck out to me the most was the Seahawks only catching four against the Denver Broncos. I think that's one where, out of all of these, it doesn't make a ton of sense when you look at it from a rating standpoint, from a number standpoint as well. You can kind of not even talk yourself into it. You realize that the market is probably going to be high on Denver. I mean, hell, if you talk about from a market standpoint, they've got Denver on the 84 line with the Cowboys, 49ers, and Browns, deriving these again from the first first week lines. So Denver minus four was the first game that stuck out to me looking at it from the perspective of the market's going to move in that direction. The Seahawks are clearly not power rated that high. You'll probably get more to like six and a half or six. And keep in mind, as we go back to our market power ratings, let's say that Denver gets up to a six point favorite. And again, using that one as home as a home field while knocking the Seahawks down two tiers, that would put you at 77, which would be on a line with the bears and the commanders, which I think if you asked anybody, it would be a little bit more fair in terms of power rating them as equals the bears, the Commanders and the Seattle Seahawks. So I, I like to do these, and, and it's cool to do these, I think, on a week. To, yeah, You can either do a week-to-week basis or every other week because, again, it gives you a sense of where the market's at. And the overreactions you'll see sometimes on a week-to-week basis from where the market was one week prior to where they are the next. And I think another one that sticks out a little bit too is, as you look at some of these, deriving them from the week one lines, you know, cow, or excuse me, Cowboys, uh, Packers and Vikings, for example. So, again, if we're using these week one lines from DraftKings and we're crafting these market power ratings, the Packers – being where they are makes sense. Being just below the Bills, the Rams, the Bucks, You put them there. I put them there on the 86 line. But if we're only using one for home field, it would still put the Vikings right about that 83 line, which would put them in par with the Cincinnati Bengals. Just a point worse than the Cowboys, 49ers, Broncos, and Browns. It seems like the 40 the Vikings are probably a little high in terms of the power rating on them and the market power rating on them. And that was the other game that kind of stuck out. And it's kind of chalky, too. We're talking about both of these matchups, and the Packers coming out as a a one-and-a-half-point favorite and the uh, Broncos as a four-point favorite, both on the road. But I also think that as we kind of get further along here and as the years go on and we've seen home field be worth less and less, that laying points on the road isn't the most daunting task in the world in the National Football League. you know, Home field is not worth as much as we have seen play out. Just gave you the numbers earlier. So I think you would keep that in mind as you look at some of these numbers, and that's the big thing about it too. When you see a number like Jacksonville and Washington, let's go there for example, right? If you see Washington as a four-point favorite over the Jacksonville Jaguars in this week one matchup, initial thought would be, is Washington really only three points or one point better on a neutral field than the Jacksonville Jaguars? Because if we're using three, Well, you get to that four-point spread, then you're saying that on a neutral, Washington's only a point better. But if I say, well, actually, we're using one for home field, well, then it makes a little bit more sense when you're like, oh, okay, Washington, three points better on a neutral. That kind of makes a little bit more sense. So I think that's why this is also the other important part about this. You know, on a neutral field, would Kansas City, as you see the line there, if we're using three, would Kansas City be six points better and laying nine at home against Arizona? Or if you're using one, would it be more realistic to have that floating more around a touchdown a little bit less than that against a team power-rated like the Arizona Cardinals? So I, I think it's a really cool and fun exercise. And also, this is to be said about home field too. I mean, there's varying home fields in the degrees to which their strengths is. The Raiders and Chargers are a pretty good example. I think it's really hard to use a full three if you really wanted to do that for a team like the Chargers at home because we know it's it's been – um it has been what is i'm losing the word but it has been documented there we go uh, that the chargers don't have a very strong home field so you look at chargers minus 4 against the raiders you would think ah, i can't be 3 but if you make it 1 makes more sense that the Chargers would be power-rated about three points better than the Las Vegas Raiders. So, again, I like to use this. It's a good thing to compare and contrast with your own ratings and to look around some of these numbers and find out where you're at uh, from your own numbers and where you can find some edges if you really believe in your numbers in comparison with some of the market ratings. Now, as far as some of these other lines go, some of the intriguing spots, I mean, I think it's obvious to start with Cleveland and Carolina. I just think it's really interesting when you look at how the markets are going to handle the Cleveland Browns as we move forward. Some spots probably aren't going to hang the numbers on Cleveland at all. I know in the futures market, they're not available for the most part, especially when it comes to win totals. But from a game-to-game standpoint, there's going to be a lot of teams, there's going to be a lot of shops who aren't going to hang a number on Cleveland in this week one matchup because you just have no idea who their starting quarterback is or how it's going to work out. That has a game that is, it's going to be rife for a lot of complications and hell, what could happen in the next few weeks in terms of Baker Mayfield actually switching teams and being with the Carolina Panthers. That's the other part of this, right? Setting up for a pretty much dramatic matchup uh, potentially with Baker Mayfield as a starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers against his old team, the Cleveland Browns. But I like these sort of things. This has been a pretty big tool for me when it comes to handicapping the national football league and looking around and, And finding some value in playing against the market and it's overvaluing of certain teams. So again, I think at the top of the list at this point right now would be the Denver Broncos over the Seattle Seahawks. I do think the Broncos are a little overvalued by the betting market coming into the year, but I also think that Seattle is being power rated a little too high. I think there might be a little bit of uh, too much faith in Pete Carroll and the Seahawks. All right, when we come back, we wrap it up. We'll have our best bets, recap what happened yesterday, and we'll look ahead to the matchups that we have later today. Can the Bucks close this thing out, beat the Boston Celtics, and move on to the Eastern Conference Finals for the second consecutive year? Find out when we come back.
6: And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: This is The Edge on vSEN, the sports betting network. Beeson Spring Special's here. For only 59 bucks, you're gonna get everything Beeson has to offer from now to the end of July. Next few months filled with the best betting content in the business right here at Beeson.com. Subscribers are gonna have access to all of it. Adam Burke has daily Major League Baseball Best Bets. I, Jonathan Von Tobel, gonna to have best bets all the way through the NBA Finals. Andy McNeil breaks down all the action on the ice, all the way through the Stanley Cup playoffs, plus lots of NFL preseason coverage, not to mention continued best bets, premium articles covering golf, UFC, USFL, and NASCAR. If you want the full Beaston experience, Check it out. 59 bucks. Subscriber through July 31st. Now at B slash spring. Josh Applebaum was all over the UFC earlier today with Pritch. I'm, I'm teasing Josh because he was uh, doing some gymnastics, one of the last names. There's a lot of there's a lot of tough last names at the UFC. I am not perfect by any way whatsoever. All right, let's talk some NBA and um, Ooh, I'm being... Okay, all right, good. I get distracted. Uh, Tibbs is uh, trending on Twitter, and I was like, ooh, Tom Thibodeau? No, not it. All right. A recap from last night and uh, a look at tonight, because we haven't really gotten into the games this evening. Uh, Yesterday, Mavericks plus two gets the win there. Tonight... Right, we're going to roll with the Grizzlies, catching an eight and a half against the Golden State Warriors. I, I'm going to roll with the Golden State Warriors, or excuse me, the Memphis Grizzlies. I don't know why I said we. Um, like I'm part of some conglomerate that uh, put our heads together and our numbers to come out with Grizzlies plus eight and a half. And the number's still floating around eight, depending on where you look around and shop for your numbers. I uh, believe there was, last look, there was an eight and a half, but shaded to the dog side here. Um, let's see, yeah, so we're sitting at pretty much eight across the board, uh, with Circa actually shaded to the dog side at eight, and uh, if you want to grab that eight, it's minus 115. Let's talk about this matchup for a second. First off, I think it's it's the simple analysis to start with is Golden State in this series, through five games now, they lead 3-2, but they are one and four against the spread in these five games, and they've been outscored by 5.6 points per 100 possessions in non-garbage time minutes. Now, a lot of people will point to the last game really putting a wrench into those numbers in terms of net rating but keep in mind both of these teams have a blowout in their favor the warriors absolutely demolished the golden state warriors should me, the uh, the memphis grizzlies in that third game back in san francisco and the memphis grizzlies give it back to them in memphis in game 5 but when you, when i'm when you look at this matchup too and some of the numbers and the underlying stuff. First off, offensively, the Warriors have had such a tough time in this series. Offensive rating through the three games of just 106.5. John Morant, or John Morant, since John Morant's injury, Memphis with the defensive rating of 84.8. They have covered both games wire to wire. I think the market's just been a little too high here on Golden State. This is a good defensive team without John Morant on the floor. I will reiterate, they are not a better team without John Moran, but they're a better defensive team, and they play a different style without Moran out there. And they have done such a good job defensively with Golden State. If you look at some of these possessions where Draymond Green catches the ball at the top of the key and he's not even looking to score in the basket, it's nuts that they don't care about Draymond Green. And Green's got to do a little bit of a better job in terms of being an offensive force. But this has been all about disrupting those screens and handoff games that the Golden State Warriors run, getting up in the space of a lot of these guys, Curry, Thompson, Poole included, not letting them get comfortable or even getting a sliver of space to get off those lightning quick releases. I've been really impressed with the way the Memphis Grizzlies have been playing. And we knew about them being better defensively coming in. You're not 21-5 and straight up without your best player without being a good team, and that is what the case is. They're a good and deep team defensively, and we should also know, too, that Steven Adams is back in this lineup, right? Missed some time with COVID. I think game three was his first game back from from, um, protocol, but regardless, this has been one where I just think the Warriors have been a little overvalued. I think it's been pretty clear at this point right now, and even if – like if they go back to San Francisco tonight and they come out and they're firing away and I lose this thing by 20, I'd still rather be on the side of the team that I believe to be undervalued here by the betting market, which is the Memphis Grizzlies. So give me the Grizzlies plus eight and a half in this matchup today against the golden state warriors, man. It would be kind of cool if they extend this out. And that's the other thing about this too. You know, Golden State, from an offensive standpoint, this has been who they've been all year long. They were 29th in offensive turnover rate. They've been lackadaisical, cavalier, if you will, with the way that they've been playing. It's been, I think, almost ridiculous to watch them play at certain times. And the confidence, I guess I get it to a certain extent. But when you're dancing to whoop that trick after you're getting blown out the other night with the confidence exuding that you're going to go back home and take care of business, Grizzlies aren't scared of you, man. Like, they they know. They feel confidence, I think, in this type of a matchup. I I would not be uh, just chalking this up to closing this series out back at home. Now, the other game we get, Boston and Milwaukee. Bucks open up 1.5 with a total of 2.12. Total's been pretty interesting here. And no best bet here, but obviously we want to talk about this game. Total's been interesting because this actually this morning, when I was doing the write-up and posted it, got down to 2.10.5, made its way back up to 2.12.5. And I, I agree with the sentiment that, you know, this might be higher scoring than we think. Play the over in each of the last two games here because the market, I thought, wasn't really uh, was over adjusting. Remember, game one closed 218.5. We got to as low as 209 in game three, in that matter, excuse me, uh, game four between these two. So we're kind of hovering around that range where there's still a little bit, maybe, of an over adjustment here. But Both teams are starting to figure this thing out offensively. Giannis has been incredible each of the last three games, over 34 points in each of those affairs. The Celtics have become more and more comfortable offensively, an offensive rating of 116.8 in uh, the last two games for the Celtics, an offensive rating of at least 116 or better in three out of four. So the Celtics have started to find their stride on offense, and they don't have an answer for Giannis Antetokounmpo. But there's two things we have to watch here for the Celtics tonight to see if it takes place. The first is – the size of Milwaukee and how you deal with said size. Now we're watching a great offensive rebound from one Al Horford, but the size discrepancy has really played a big part, especially the way that game closed because Bud decided to go big and he actually has started these games big, but in the fourth quarter of game four uh, did not win with a smaller lineup led to that blown lead and eventually the tied series after game four. But what happened in game five, you had Bobby Portis on the floor in the fourth quarter, The Celtics had a negative 48 net rating in those minutes in the fourth quarter. They were killed on the glass. Milwaukee in the fourth had seven offensive rebounds, grabbed a 66.7% of all available rebounds in the quarter, and that made a really big difference here. So how, if you're the Celtics, you deal with that size in this game, which is going to be out there again in the fourth quarter, is the first thing to watch. The second thing to watch, and this is to me the most worrisome thing about the Celtics, I do think they're going to win today. I think the number's right on. Uh, in terms of where you make it from a side perspective. So I don't think there's any value in something in terms of playing it. But I do think that when you look at this, if you're worried about Boston, it's not only the size, but it's how they've closed out some of these games. I think Emi Udoka, as we talked about yesterday, deserves some criticism for putting the ball in the hands of Marcus Smart on the two most important plays of that game as opposed to getting it to Jason Tatum. But if you go back to the regular season, one of the biggest issues for Boston in the regular season – Part of the reason why they got off to the slow start that they did was those poor numbers in clutch time. The Celtics finished 26th in clutch time net rating in the regular season this year. They were outscored by 9.5 points per 100 possessions in clutch time. Again, game within five points either way, five minutes or fewer to go. They were 13-22 and in games that got to clutch time. The team's offensive rating... In those games, 97.7. It's abysmal. It's not good. Less than a per possession in clutch time. They had issues closing games out. And then you look at some of the numbers in that fourth quarter and in clutch time against the Bucs last time out, an offensive rating of 66.7. So that's, I think, one of the things you're looking at here, and you're like, man, the Celtics, like they didn't have a lot of issues down the stretch because there weren't a lot of games that they played in clutch time. They were just blowing teams out left and right. But – we have a pretty large sample size of struggles in games that are close, and that popped up again against a team that has a championship under its belt and that looked like every bit of a team that has won a title before. This is a really impressive performance from Milwaukee. But I do, think we're going to get a, uh, I do think we're going to get a game seven, but the play tonight is going to be Golden State Warriors. Memphis Grizzlies taking the underdog there at plus eight and a half. Freudian slip almost there. Almost. All right. So that's it for today. Really quickly going back to uh, game seven between Phoenix and Dallas, for those who weren't with us at the top of the show, Dallas is going to be the play. I'm just waiting to see what the market's going to do with that number. It's sitting at six right now. We got to seven in multiple games over at Phoenix, and that's what I want to wait back, and, and we we'll sit back and see what's going on there. But Mavericks are going to be the side. I think that there's a lot more consistency there, and um, we'll see who the, whoever they get on this next matchup because I do think Dallas – Dallas is a pretty good, man. And, and arguably any series going forward, you could say that they have at the very least a player that is equal to the best player on the court outside of maybe Giannis Antetokounmpo and Luka Doncic. But I, I like a lot of what I've seen from this Mavericks team, and I would very much uh, watch out for them not only this season but as we move forward because this is a team that is really built, uh, I think, to be a contender going forward, especially when you've got a guy like Luka Doncic and when you play defense the way that they do. Guys like Nilakina and uh, Reggie Bullock, And Dorian Fitty smith they do not get enough credit for the way that they've been playing in this series and just hunting Chris Paul left, right, and sideways on some of these defensive possessions. It's been really, really fun to watch. So keep that in mind. And also, Sunday, Hardwood Handicappers. Check that out. I hope we get two game sevens because that would happen on Sunday, and that would make it absolutely fantastic in terms of being live on the air for those matchups. All right, we're all done. Enjoy your weekend. You missed out on any part of this show or your favorite shows, you know where to go. Vston.com slash podcast is the spot. Find out every single one of those from an audio standpoint and also all the written content we offer. A lot of good stuff up there. We talked to Aaron Moore this week about what he was writing. Of course, we have Adam Burke, Andy McNeil, and the others who can contribute from that way as well. Have a good weekend, and we'll see you on Sunday.